Jude, uh, reading verses 5 to 7. So uh, let us hear the word of God in faith and uh, with joy that we have God's revelation for us in Scripture. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Uh, Rudyard uh, Kipling, in his uh, famous uh, poem entitled Recessional, uh, wrote to commemorate the Diamond uh, Jubilee of Queen uh, Victoria. It was written at the height of the British Empire. But Kipling uh, had the unsettled feeling that perhaps uh, the decline was soon to set in. And he reminds us in that regard that the kingdom of man is impermanent and fleeting. And he reminds us of just that in uh, the oft-repeated refrain of the poem, uh, which reads, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Now, he based those words on the scriptures, the words of Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 12, which reads, Then watch yourselves, lest you forget the Lord. And it is our reminder that we need the grace of God to keep us from forgetting, and Jude tells us why in the verses before us. And the why, of course, is the succinct answer that there are consequences grave consequences to forgetting God, falling into apostasy, falling away from God as the product of forgetting God. And so, in the words of the poem, Lord God of hosts be with us yet, lest we forget. Uh, in the text this morning, we are reminded of the terminal judgments upon the first generation uh, in the wilderness, denied entrance into the promised land, uh, the rebellion of the evil angels, and the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. But before we uh, look at the text, <clears throat> I would like to uh, provoke our thoughts to uh, remembering the times in which we live. Uh, because if we understand properly the times in which we live, uh, we have something of an innate antidote uh, to keep us from forgetting. Uh, as you know, Jude is warning the church uh, that the vanguard of evil uh, is present in an invasion of false teachers. If you look at verse 4, for certain persons have crept in uh, unnoticed. So even in the first generation church, uh, the church is invaded with false teachers. And my, how that invasion has intensified. 
the invasion is important to remember uh, as, again, an antidote to uh, keep us uh, earnestly contending for the faith. Uh, let me uh, use a military metaphor, perhaps to remind you of this, but uh, uh, Every, uh, every army unit, I can't really speak for uh, the other services, but every army unit that, that moves uh, uh, in, a, in a combat zone uh, to engage with the enemy always has someone out front to warn uh, of an ambush. At the squad level, it's called a point man. Uh, so the point man is first. What follows him is the squad. If it's a divisional level, it's an armored cavalry squadron. I, I know I'm losing some of you, but uh, but the point but the point of the metaphor is uh, if you're the enemy uh, and you see a single soldier approaching you and he's on his guard, you say to yourself, "That's a point man. Let him pass. Don't engage him," because you're not after him. You're after the squad. Uh, if you're if you're the enemy and you're you're conducting counter reconnaissance against the reconnaissance of the enemy, and you see uh, elements of an armored cavalry squadron, you let them pass through, and you hope that they won't see you because you're not after the screening force; you're after the divisional force. So the point of my metaphor is simply that you and I are conducting counter reconnaissance, and we see false teachers in the church. And we are reminded that the main body is yet to come. And it's that that's to keep us to earnestly contend for the faith. And we are seeing the point men and false teachers as a reminder of the danger of the times, as a reminder that the main body uh, is, is soon to come. Uh, and so uh, the point of the times, again, is to is to keep us earnestly contending for the faith because we know the danger. Uh, the event of uh, the invasion of the Church of False Teachers fits within the context of the end-time tribulation. Now, why do I say that? Well, again, very quickly in terms of Jude, if you, uh, if you look at verse 18, they were saying to you, in the last times there shall be mockers. Well, so we're in the last times. What's a component of the last times? The end time tribulation. It's a component of the last times. Uh, illustration of this in uh, John in his uh, first epistle. So turn with me, if you would, to First uh, John chapter 2. Uh, because John is also dealing with a threat that has come into the church. And it's similar to the threat that Jude is dealing with. But more properly, both of them fit within the context of the end time tribulation uh, and screening forces, if you will, for the main body of, of, uh, of incredible danger to the church. Uh, so we read in uh, 1 John uh, chapter 2.18, children is the last hour. So again, John is telling us that we're in the end times, and more particularly the end time tribulation. It is the last hour, and just as you heard that Antichrist is coming, that's the main body, the main threat to the church, the intensification of the threat uh, in an unparalleled way. 
Just as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have arisen, and from this we know it's the last hour. So the screening force to Antichrist is many Antichrists, if you will, little Antichrists, and uh, they're passing through the church, just like false teachers are passing through the church, awakening the true believer uh, that incredible danger is near. Uh, John issues uh, three tests uh, as evidence of what genuine faith is, moral, social, and, and doctrinal. Uh, and his simple declaration is that uh, we're in the end times of eschatological fulfillment. Uh, th this text is an illusion. Uh, the reason we, we, we say it's uh, eschatological fulfillment, John is citing an Old Testament text that's prophesying uh, the end time tribulation. And John is saying essentially that it's beginning in his day. It started. Uh, so John is alluding to Daniel chapter 12. Turn in your Old Testament, Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1. Try to point out the allusion to you. Uh, and, and, and more particularly, I think uh, John is alluding to the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which reads, now at that hour, notice the word hour, because that's how John is uh, saying that the hour has begun in his day. Now at that hour, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise, and there will be a time of tribulation such as has never occurred. Uh, so John is alluding to Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1, and essentially what he's telling us is that the hour has begun. The tribulation has begun, it has started. Uh, and the trigger point is that many Antichrists have entered the church. Uh, and it is uh, uh, perhaps uh, an allusion Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, is perhaps an allusion back to Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, which speaks of uh, the spirit of Antichrist who will come speaking soft words to seduce the confessional community into lawlessness. And uh, essentially that has begun in the church. It's everywhere in our culture. Incredible lawlessness. It's also entered the church as an indication the presence of the great end-time tribulation. Uh, so that uh, John is saying, by using Daniel, that tribulation is breaking out in his day as evidence by the presence of many antichrists. They're everywhere as a signal that the main body is perhaps very near. They are the advance guard. Uh, we pick up similar language in uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3. Uh, and every spirit who does not confess Jesus uh, is not from God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming. Now notice the phrase. And now it's already in the world. Uh, just like we have the spirit of the living God, anti-Christian forces have the spirit of Antichrist uh, that is now present in the world. So do we live in dangerous times? You bet we do. Uh, and they should quicken us 
to earnestly contend for the faith because the times are incredibly dangerous. Uh, something of this in uh, the words of uh, the Apostle Paul, Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 3. as well as verse 7. Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. So one of the harbingers of uh, the main body of uh, the intensification of the threat against the church uh, is a falling away from within the church. Paul is not writing about a falling away in our culture. We know, I mean, that goes without saying. He's writing of an apostasy, a falling away from within the church. Evidence that uh, false teaching takes hold. Evidence the spirit of Antichrist has entered the church and is seducing, ruining, and destroying. Uh, look at verse 7, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Where? In the world? That goes without saying. In the church is the point of the Apostle Paul. And so that is to why we're to earnestly contend for the faith based upon the times in which we live. That they are serious times, they are dangerous times. I mean, I might say to you, by way of application, it's one of the most dangerous places you could ever go to is in some American churches because the spirit of Antichrist has gained a lodgment there uh, and is advancing his presence. Uh, one of the reasons this is so ironic to me is, uh, again, if you understand the premise, if you don't understand the times, then you are not likely to prepare properly during the times by earnestly contending for the faith. Uh, but most churches uh, uh, in America, certainly in uh, Oklahoma to be sure, can't do that because uh, uh, they reject the notions, uh, the notion that we are in the end time tribulation. And so why prepare? We're not going to go through it. So we don't need to contend with the spirit of Antichrist or false teachers. Uh, we're not going to enter that time. I think the evidence is decisively against them. I think 1 John chapter 2 and verse 18, 1 John 4, uh, many other verses is, are against them, but uh, I'm just simply telling you in my own humble estimation, if you want to seduce someone, then uh, get them to buy into the fact that they don't need to earnestly contend for they will never face uh, the end time tribulation that begins with false teachers and the spirit of Antichrist in the spirit of lawlessness that has come into the church. Uh, therefore, uh, when you discount the danger of the times, uh, you're more likely to give in to doctrinal compromise and uh, you're more likely to say that it's virtuous to tolerate false teaching. And uh, these are prescriptions for disaster and ruin. Uh, but that's that's where we are in the American church. We don't have to worry about it. Uh, 
And so whether we earnestly contend or not is somewhat irrelevant. Now, they would, they would never use that language, but I'm just simply using the extrapolation from the logic of the teaching of the apostles. That the times have begun, and they are incredibly dangerous, and we must be on our guard. Uh, so there is this reality of the end times that uh, awakens us to danger. Uh, but now Jude uh, brings us to the consequences uh, of apostasy. And the consequences of apostasy are simply this. Uh, failure or falling away from God uh, has a very high price. And that's simply the lesson, verses 5 to 7. Uh, falling away from God uh, has a very high price. Uh, so uh, Jude gives us the content of his reminder. If you look at verse 5, I desire to remind you, and the content of his reminder follows. And they are three historic examples of inevitable judgment upon apostasy or falling away. Now again, let me remind you that apostasy is not something that's done by the world. It's done by the church. Uh, and as a signal marker of the last days, uh, many will fall away from the faith. So it's a warning. It's a warning. Jude is giving to us a warning from three historic examples. And one of my constant reminders to you is to uh, uh, tell you that one of your uh, witnesses in the world today is to uh, warn people uh, of the times and of the content of the times, the presence of false teachers, uh, the spirit of Antichrist, the spirit of lawlessness uh, within the church. Uh, well, the first example, historic example, uh, that Jude gives to us of the danger of the times is uh, first generation out of Egypt. Uh, the Lord, after saving the people of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Uh, again, it's embracing the church. It's embracing the covenant community. Uh, they believed God and left Egypt. Uh, they partook, if you will, of uh, the element of the first Passover meal and uh, placing blood upon their doorposts, and they left Egypt. Subsequently, uh, the New American Standard uh, reads uh, that the Lord, after saving people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. Uh, some, some manuscripts, and I believe it's the more proper reading uh, because of the evidence and the quality of the manuscripts, uh, read Jesus destroyed them. Uh, it's a reminder that uh, uh, puts a whole new focus upon the sharpness of the warning. Uh, not just because of Jesus, but because of one of the deceptions that's so evident in the American church today. Uh, the Old Testament, God was a judge. The New Testament, God is a God of love. Well, I mean, certainly both of those statements are true, but 
Uh, just because Jesus is a God of love does not mean he does not execute judgment upon those who fall away from him. And this is a historic illustration of that fact. The people did not believe the promises of God in Jesus. They, uh, they looked at the land of Canaan and they saw the giants and they said, Jesus can't win. So let's just retreat and go back to the wilderness. And really what they wanted to do is retreat and go back to Egypt. Uh, that's what you call apostasy or falling away. And falling away has serious consequences. And it is here that we read that Jesus subsequently destroyed the entire first generation with the exception of Joshua and Caleb. Men, women, and children. Based upon uh, the report that, man, there's giants in the land. <laughs> we can't win. Let's go back home to Egypt. Uh, sometimes we do that today. God can't win, so I'm going to keep silent. Uh, Jesus can't win against the forces that I'm confronting, so I'm going to put a bushel basket over my witness and not be a light. Reminder to be very careful because falling away has a terminal consequence uh, in destruction. Uh, they were denied interest into the promised land, which uh, is a symbol of eternity. The allusion is to two texts. Simply going to read uh, one because of time, uh, pass over the other. But the book of Numbers, chapter 14, uh, verses 22 and uh, 20. Three. Surely all of the men who have seen my glory and my signs which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice shall by no means see the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who spurned me see it. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 3, verses 10 and 11, quoting Psalm 95. Uh, God says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Meaning that the land is simply symbolic of being cut off from eternity because they fell away from the promises of Jesus and would not believe him that he was able to conquer. And uh, you and I are to persevere in the faith and uh, we're to remember that we are overwhelmingly uh, conquerors because of him who loved us. Regardless of the threats we face, we are conquerors and we are to live accordingly. So an entire generation, save two, is cut off from eternity. Context of the book of Hebrews is uh, extremely intense because some are considering returning to their old religion of Judaism, which is an act of apostasy and falling away. And the author is warning them of the consequences of apostasy and unbelief because retreating from orthodoxy is dangerous ground. Let me give you an illustration of how some within the American church attempt to soften that and make it sound not so dangerous. And I believe it's simply pure and simple act of deception. 
Roman Catholic Church, uh, among others, believes in purgatory. So that a Christian uh, who uh, dies with perhaps some sins that haven't been atoned for enters purgatory where uh, he pays the penalty. Uh, well, the precept of that is uh, you get a second chance. My friends, there is no second chance. It is appointed to man once to die, and after that, the judgment. It's a pure and simple act of incredible deception to tell someone that, well, if you blow it in this life, you'll get another shot, and the saints will pray you out of it, and the saints will give to get you out of it. But there is no getting out, because there is no purgatory. You simply die, and you ain't in eternity. I love the refrain in Kipling's prayer. Judge of the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget. Lest we forget that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. The second history lesson is the fallen angels who rebelled against God, verse 6. Very quickly, many people uh, see this as an allusion to Genesis chapter 6 and an apocryphal work, 1st Enoch chapter 10, with rebel angels assuming corporeality and cohabiting with women and bearing children. Uh, I don't uh, accept that, that view. I mean, it, it may be right. There's certainly pretty some pretty impressive scholars that hold that view, and I'm not a very impressive scholar, but I simply don't hold it. I simply take Genesis 6 to be a reference to the godly line intermarrying with the ungodly line as a prelude to the universal judgment of the flood, save the family of Noah. One family escapes. Uh, but it is a wonderful application uh, of being so careful to earnestly contend for the faith that as a Christian, if you understand my view of Genesis chapter 6, you understand that you are forbidden to marry outside the faith. You can marry all shapes, sizes, and colors. It is irrelevant because uh, uh, all of us are created in the image of God and therefore are beautiful in and of itself as an act of God's creation. but you are forbidden to marry outside the Christian faith. And to do so is, uh, is, is, is dangerous ground. Uh, I wouldn't go so far as to call it an act of apostasy, but you may very well set in motion destructive forces to your faith. Uh, so we, we are to remember the words of... Uh, uh, for example, of uh, the Apostle Paul that we could use by application, but it goes way beyond, goes way beyond marriage. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, do not be bound together with unbelievers for what fellowship, what communion does righteousness have with lawlessness? Or what Fellowship has light with darkness. 
It's a reminder to the Corinthians to reject false teachers. What a sharp reminder to us. Reject false teaching. Because they're the spirit of Antichrist. They're the advance guard of the main body that's soon to come. Because of the times in which we live. I don't know that we take it that seriously. Uh, because we don't understand the times, much less the content of Jude's warning. The danger of apostasy and falling away. Uh, we fail to recognize that uh, the forces of the evil one are patient. And they'll destroy us a penny and a nickel and a dime at a time. A great reminder. Uh, the, the lesson here is that the rebel angels, in my view, were consigned to prison and death row in the underworld and their power curtailed. Uh, Apostle Peter has a commentary on this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. Uh, now what does that mean? It, means, of course, in a certain sense, they were imprisoned and that their power curtailed in their ability to deceive the people of God. Uh, so that's a judgment that, that uh, fell upon them. There's an illustration of this in Revelation chapter 20, uh, in verses 7 and 8. Uh, when the thousand years are completed, I believe we're in the thousand years, Satan will be released from his prison. Uh, now, what does that mean? And he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth. That God in His grace limited the ability of Satan to deceive the church. If God didn't do that, He would deceive the church because He's much more powerful than the church. But God in His grace uh, limited His ability, but as the times intensify, uh, He will withdraw uh, that ability and the deception will become rampant. That's why we should remember the times in which we live and their danger and be quickened. Uh, by the way, there's a, a great reference to the gospel here. Uh, if, if you're not a Christian, uh, you will not make it. Uh, Satan has already planted the seeds of your destruction and with each passing day. Uh, your judgment will intensify. You simply will not make You cannot make it because you have no power against him. Uh, only the Christian has, has the ability to withstand his forces. And so if you're not a Christian, the only way to make it out of this world alive is to come to Christ. Because only then are you protected and granted safe passage through this incredibly dangerous world. Come to Christ. Flee your self-confidence. See it for what it is, as a premier act of deception, that you will not stand. You can only stand in the Savior. And sue for peace and believe in Him. It's a picture in the book of the Revelation of what happens to you when that occurs. Revelation chapter 7, verse 3, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. 
that all Christians are sealed by the power and the grace of the Spirit of God and given safe passage through this dangerous world and the forces of evil cannot get at us. They can destroy our bodies, but they cannot harm our souls because we've been sealed. Theology, again, the Apostle Paul, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14. We've been sealed by the Spirit of God and granted safe passage. And my friend, if you're not a Christian, you have not been sealed and you will not make it out alive. The problem today in the advancement of our education, which I understand is a great blessing, but sometimes it can be a curse. We're so progressive, we don't believe in these cosmic forces. We simply believe in the material world. Uh, well, there's much more than the material world. Behind the material world are forces of good and evil. Uh, Christ is the prince of good. Satan is the prince of evil. And both are going to claim their own. And uh, the warning is for all, the preaching of the gospel, come to the Savior. Outside of him, you will not make it. Uh, only by the blood of the Lamb does the Spirit seal you and protect you and give you safe passage. Uh, the last history lesson is from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities that surrounded them. Again, we are being warned of uh, the sure and certain outcome of falling away. Uh, the uh, first generation of Ad out of Egypt did not uh, believe in the promises of Jesus, and they fell away and drew back, and they were destroyed. Uh, the angels that rebelled against God said in their hearts, God can't stop us. But God did. Limited their power. Only. Uh, to those outside of the Savior. And we'll, of course, uh, one day uh, throw them into uh, the eternal prison of everlasting ruin, darkness. Be very careful about saying God can't win. Be very careful about saying God can't stop me. Uh, because it's uh, evidence of buying off into a bet that you cannot and will not win. The first generation was destroyed. The rebel angels were caught and chained. The last uh, history lesson comes again, as I mentioned, from the city of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. Isn't it interesting that Sodom and Gomorrah was always recruiting, growing uh, its presence? Uh, they crossed a moral line. Uh, and God sends angels who assume corporeality to warn Lot because there's one righteous family in an entire city. The falling away had so intensified. There's but one family. Uh, the angels come in uh, we read in uh, Genesis uh, chapter 19 that the uh, men of the city uh, observe them. What's worse, they want them. Uh, you have your Old Testament, Genesis chapter 19. 
uh, they come to the house of Lot and they request uh, the angels. Genesis 19, verse 5. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them. Euphemism. For what is entirely improper and rejected by God. And uh, uh, what did God do to the city? Uh, well, they bought the line that uh, God won't judge us. Be very careful about buying that line. Uh, because you're betting against the only house uh, that there is. And uh, God will catch you. You will not escape. The falling away has eternal consequences. Uh, Genesis again, uh, chapter 9, 19, pardon me, uh, verses 24 to 26 is what happens to the city. Then the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. He effaced the cities from the face of the earth. Because they believed a lie that God won't judge us. That they could violate God's mandate for marriage. For this cause, a man shall leave his father, his mother, and shall cleave to his wife. I mean, what do we say today? Well, it's anachronistic, or uh, it's left to us to define who the husband and wife are. I mean, I don't know what folly is embraced by the world today, but it's certainly very right. And uh, here we learn from the text uh, uh, that the price to be paid. Uh, the irony here is incredibly intense. They burn for what is not natural. And God burns them. Doesn't take much of a social scientist uh, casual reader of the daily newspaper or observer of the daily news uh, to reckon that we are retreating into Sodom in our country today. And that is why we should earnestly contend for the faith that the days are evil and falling away as incredible high price. But God knows and judgment is awake. In fact, we know from the words of the Apostle Paul that the judgment has already started upon them. Uh, you know, we sometimes think that, uh, well, judgment's a long way off. I have plenty of time. The book of Romans, uh, chapter 1, verse 24. And God gave them over. Verse 26, and God gave them over. And verse 28, and God gave them over. We stop, you know, once again in the midst of this terrifying act of judgment. That there is the good news of the gospel. Second uh, Peter, chapter two and verse nine. That God, as you know, mounted a rescue operation to save Lot. It's an incredible message of the gospel today that we live in the midst of the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah, and God is mounting even as we speak an incredible rescue operation to gather his own. 
Who are they? Those who name the name of Jesus Christ. If you're not a Christian, it's your only hope. Uh, the, uh, the Apostle Peter uh, uh, speaks of this in 2 Peter uh, chapter 2 and verse 9. That then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. The context is God rescued Lot. That God is rescuing people today. Boys and girls and men and women dispatching His Spirit, the forces of the angels, the preaching of the Word of God to rescue, to snatch people out of the fire, to take them from the jaws of death. I love the poem, Tennyson, the charge of the light brigade, into the valley of death rode the 600, into the jaws of hell rode the 600. But God rescues His own. Power of the Gospel to save. So a reminder to the Christian, be very careful of retreating into neglect and drift and failed memories where they set you up for apostasy to fall away. And apostasy has a very high price. Terminal judgment forever. Jude is reminding us of the consequences. Falling away is a terminal event. We must not forget this, for falling away comes with a high price. In the end, rebels, first generation out of Egypt, the rebel forces of the angels, the rebels of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, lose. They always lose. They deceive themselves that they will be victorious. The Word of God will not fail. They will lose. Always. Every time. All the time. Chilling illustration of this in, again, the danger of falling away. Something of the subject matter of the entire epistle of the book of the Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 6, and then have fallen away. They've come to a profession of faith in Christ and then they back off and they don't believe. They say to themselves, God can't win. God won't judge me. This doesn't work. I'm going to retreat to the old. And then have fallen away. It's impossible to renew them again to repentance. It's dangerous ground. The consequences of retreat. I remind you of some of the most chilling words of all of Scripture. A very short sermon preached by our Lord. Luke chapter 17, verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. She thought she was a Christian. She thought she was safe. But in a moment, her affections turned back to Sodom and Gomorrah. And in an instant, she was destroyed forever. Consequences of falling away. Remember the three historic examples that Jude gives to us of the high price of falling away. 
And if that's too much, remember Lot's wife. The obvious lesson is that we must continue in the truth because falling away is terminal. Continual reminders of this uh, beyond uh, the short epistle to which we are studying. Second uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or mouth or by letters from us. Second Timothy chapter 3. In verse 10, but you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance. Verse 14, you, however, continue in the things that you have learned and have become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So we must reject the theology of the libertines uh, because uh, they're committing apostasy and will be destroyed. And we must persevere to the end. Matthew chapter 24, verse 13. He who perseveres to the end will be saved. Uh, great theology. Little taught in churches today. Manifestly misunderstood by many. Uh, not so by the Apostle John. Uh, Revelation chapter 12, in uh, verse 17. Uh, and the dragon was enraged with a woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. Uh, that's you and me. Uh, we're in war. And, and, and how are they defined? Who keep the commandments of God and hold, hold to the testimony of Jesus. Parallel verse, Revelation 14, 12. Here is the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. The object of their faith is Jesus. Could also be understood as the source of their faith. But nonetheless, the great doctrine of perseverance that we, in the words of Jude, earnestly contend for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. For to retreat from that, to fall away from that, has a high price. So Jude is telling us to remember the lessons of history and the terminal judgments on apostasy. We must not forget. Because God does not forget when men cross Him. We must remember that falling away in apostasy comes at a high price. And so, we're to persevere. Hold fast. Knowing full well that it is the Spirit that is persevering within us and holding fast to us. And uh, that should be our comfort in the midst of the battle. And uh, regardless of the times and how they might intensify in the church, we are the victors because of Him who loves us.